In part two of our series on the Texas killing fields, we continue to learn about the bodies discovered outside the Dallas area. Today, we focus on the 1980s. We'll follow the journey of one heartbroken father, look at the lack of assistance the police were to grieving families, and continue to talk about possible suspects. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought the 70s might give way to a kinder, gentler stretch of I-45 in the 80s, stick around. Time marches on, but sadly the killing remains. This is Necronomapod. And your uh, left arm's looking a little different over there. Yeah, blasting this whole arm over. All new tattoos. A whole redo. Something yep. like a whole new you. Yep. A whole new Ian. Hmm. I can't wait for one. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you doing? Just going up to the Medina County Jail and having somebody mm-hmm. to give you some prison tats? Or yeah. what's your plan? <laughs> <laughs> Our friend Sarah is doing it for me. She's a really good artist. She does awesome work. Mm-hmm. Agree. Yeah. We have one of our masks hanging up in our uh, studio here. We do. Yeah, so I just kind of gave her the free reign. I'm like, do whatever you want, whatever you think is going to be good, and it's going to end up you know, covering up everything as best as possible. Good stuff. Did, yeah. did you know Mike offered her a 20 to hide a penis in there somewhere? I heard about that. I mean, I didn't actually do that, but I had, <laughs> I had told you guys I was thinking about sending her a text and being like, hey, I'll give you an extra 20 bucks if you just put a penis somewhere on Ian's arm. <laughs> Put it like behind the elbow. He won't even see it ever. <laughs> put it like right back in this spot. But I wanted it low enough. Like if you just fucking walk to the store, people are like, why is that guy got a dick on his elbow? It's <laughs> <laughs> a little tiny penis. It's a little one. I should have. Sorry. Sarah, we'll talk. Maybe maybe that'll still happen. <laughs> but yeah, if anybody wants to check out her artwork, uh, her Instagram is Taddy underscore spice. So T-A-T-T-Y underscore spice. Yeah, a lot of good work. Mm-hmm. She's got great work on her, too. She's covered in tattoos. It's awesome. And then there's me, my virgin skin. Virgin Mike. <laughs> She's the one I spoke with, though, about I have her uh, loosely booked for that 500th episode that we'll, you know, maybe get to. Loosely booked. Unless I decide to tank this thing before we get there. <laughs> Just get us canceled at four ninety nine. <laughs> She's, uh, I, I talked to her about, she'll be the one that, uh, that gives me that, that first tattoo. Got anything in mind yet? Uh, certainly not a small penis on my elbow. Save that for, I don't want, you know, let's gimmick infringement on Ian's body. No, we'll see. Right. We'll come up with something. I was thinking about maybe, uh, nah, that doesn't matter. I don't want to get people excited. That's years away. What are we, we're not even at 300 yet, are we? Mm-mm. Oh, we got time. People will for sure get sick of us by then. I'm confident of it. The OT episodes count, by the way. Yeah, those are main feed shows. Uh, yeah, that's the main feed. I agree. Yeah. That counts. That's Just why you guys are trying to do so many of them. I think we need to do three of those a week. Just <laughs> <laughs> tattoo by Christmas, pal. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of just housekeeping items too. We've also had people reaching out to us recently asking if we've had a mailing address or a PO box. Um, We do in fact have that Uh, it's listed in our link tree on all of our social medias, but we are uh, cool down media LLC PO box nine zero six Medina, Ohio Medina is spelled M E D I N A four, four, two, five, eight. That's PO box nine zero six. Medina, Ohio, 44258. If you were wondering, there it is. That just reminded me of like a 90s commercial. Where they like send the money order to a P.O. Check, box. Check your money order yeah. to P.O. Box. Let's keep reading the P.O. Box over and over again. To get your four easy payments of 1995 <laughs> each. For your two CDs of Monsters of Rock. <laughs> used to be able to do cash on delivery, COD. So I guess the, the delivery guy would have to collect money from you when he dropped it off. Like, how did that work? Yeah, if I was him, I just would have pieced the fuck out with that money, right? Yeah, like, right. Oh, I got robbed. <laughs> got robbed C-O-D. at the gas station. I was trying to get a hot dog, and they took my money. 
What else? We got a lot of notes at the start of this one. Last point of order. At the end of August, our last Sunday show of the month of August, we are going to do listener-submitted cryptids, maybe like a greatest hits. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, so it's going to be a very select few that we choose. The but, few, the proud, the best cryptids. That's right. <laughs> uh, you've offended every Marine that listens to us. <laughs> um, if you are interested, if there is a local cryptid uh, in your area that you think would be fun or scary or cool for us to talk about, here are the stipulations, and these must be followed because we're probably going to get a lot, and we're going to have to narrow this down. Send an email to inquiries at necronomapod.com. The subject line of the email, please make the name of the cryptid, and then in the body of the email, two or three sentences about what the cryptid is. Um, that will be the only way that you can get qualified for this. We're going to read through them all and maybe pick, I don't know, probably the best five or six of them, depending on how long they are enough to get us through a Sunday show. Um, so follow the rules or else it'll probably just get deleted only at inquiries at necronomapod.com. You don't need to DM them to us. You don't need to put, send it to us on the social medias or on Patreon inquiries at necronomapod.com subject line, the name of the cryptid and a two to three sentences um, in the body of the, uh, the email, letting us know what it's about. We'll go through them. We'll select the best ones and we'll do a show on it. And maybe we'll do multiple shows like we do with missing four one one. We'll revisit it. Bring your best. We haven't had good cryptids in a while. You know, they're hard to come by. Yeah. So we want to hear from your, your local ones and we'll do a greatest hits. What do we look into? The Oklahoma octopus? You're like, yeah, uh, no. It wasn't can't, enough. Can't make a show out of this. Right. It was pretty much someone said they saw an octopus. Science <laughs> was like, no, there's no pictures. All right, story over. <laughs> the You can start submitting them as soon as you hear this. Do it now. As soon as you hear these words leaving my mouth. The deadline will be August 16th, 2023. So by the time this comes out on a Sunday, you have about two and a half weeks to get that shit in. August 16th is the deadline. So that'll give us time to prepare which ones we're going to do, uh, look them up, do some research, and then get the show ready and recorded. August 16th, inquiries at necronomapod.com. With an I. Inquiries. Inquiries with an I. If I wake up to an angry text from Dave that he's getting DM'd about your fucking cryptids, <laughs> you're automatically disqualified. It's harsh. God damn. Well, I don't want you to have to go through that at 5 a.m. when you wake up and having coffee. Well, that's true. Question. Does Raptor Jesus eligible for this? Sure. Okay. Send it with a description and All right. we'll see. I'm curious what it if we what pick rapture, rapture Jesus, Jesus <laughs> do we get rapping Jesus? Dave? Oh, I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't heard from him in a while. His sick rhymes. He, he, <laughs> he dropped those dope rhymes and he, he bolted down. He couldn't top them. Sometimes that's what you got to do. Uh, any hoodles. That has been, that was a lot. That was a big intro. P.O. Box, cryptids, tatty underscore spice for the, all your tattooing needs. That guy, that's Raptor Jesus. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hope someone sends that one. So, all right, well, that was fun. Now it's not going to be so fun. Where we left off last week on part one, we had covered the 1970s series of murders along I-45 between Dallas and Galveston, Texas. There were 11 victims, all young girls in their teens, but some of them were as young as 12 years old. We talked about the wrongful conviction of Michael Lloyd Self and we covered a pretty solid suspect, Edward Bell. I think where we landed on part one was that Edward Bell for sure murdered 15-year-olds Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson, but there could have been as many as four serial killers operating in this area of Texas in the 70s. Remind me, what he went to prison for something else, right, and started confessing? Is that what yeah, it was? well, he walked up and just shot that, that oh, guy in right, the forehead. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's because he was... Masturbating out his junk and was yeah yeah in front of girls. He was just like always on the hunt for little girls mm -hmm. and um, but he had specific details about Debbie Ackerman and Maria Johnson that would have been really hard for him to just okay. come up with. Okay, we're gonna call that one solid then. 
In September of 1984, Tim and Jan Miller moved from Dickinson to League City in Texas. This was supposed to be a fresh start for the Millers, but specifically for their 16-year-old daughter, Laura. Laura had a medical condition that would cause her to have seizures. She took medication for it, but she would still have seizures at random times. It was really unpredictable. As she got older, this started to affect her friendships with kids at school. Uh, parents of those kids were nervous to have Laura stay the night over at their house, so she missed out on sleepovers with her friends. And kids are just mean in general. That's true. Laura was made fun of for her seizures. There was an incident where she was cast into a solo singing part for a play at school and had a seizure in the middle of it. And, of course, kids thought that this was hilarious and made fun of her. But that is the kind of stuff that pushed Tim and Jan Miller to move Laura to a new school. Would you worry about having one of your kids' friends sleep over, like subject to seizures? Would that make you a little nervous? It might, right? It would make me nervous, but I wouldn't. I don't think I would stop that. Would like, you I would just be like, educate yourself if something on what happens, to do, yeah. tell me what I need to do. If I'm going to have this you know, child sleeping over, right. I feel like that's what I would do. Yeah, I would just have to ask the parents, like, okay, give me a game plan, yeah, like, what to do if this right. happens. And, and then some people that have seizures, like, they can feel them coming on. So they mm -hmm. can let you know. You clear the floor. You put pillows around things that they might hit into. Do I, you know, do we need to be aware of that? Do we, do we need to give them more medication? Do we need to just call 911? Like, what's protocol here? Right. I feel like I would feel, it would be, I would feel terrible saying no to a kid because they have a medical condition. Right. Like you're not just, you're not going to discriminate rude. them from yeah, the Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Nervous, like understandable, but yeah. exclusionary like that. I, I don't think I'd have the heart for no, that. That's awful. It's almost like a really bad allergy, right? Like if someone's deathly allergic to... Peanuts. Yeah, and then yeah. you tell them, like a kid is deathly aller allergic, and you're like, no, you can't come over. Yeah. yeah, I would just say, okay, come over. I'm not going to serve you peanuts. I'm not, you're not going to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I might even get rid of all the peanuts in my house if I have to. Yeah, depending on what the situation is there. Yeah, I'm not going to give you a Snickers bar or anything. Yeah. That doesn't go over well in school sometimes from what I've, what I've read. The parents like, why can't Johnny bring a peanut butter jelly sandwich to school? Yeah. I know all have too well. Have that other kid eat somewhere else. <laughs> I know all too well about that situation mm. from this past year. Laura still had her boyfriend back in Dickinson. His name was Vernon. I don't know if I put it in the outline later on, but Dickinson and League City are not that far apart. It's like a 15, 20-minute drive. Okay. Right. Um, so she's not moving across the country. No. So she was still able to see her friends if she wanted to. Mm -hmm. It just I think of being 16 and you're moved like that, it just feels like... It's the other side of the world. Yeah. yeah. So her boyfriend's name was Vernon, and on the morning of September 10th, 1984, she wanted to talk to him on the phone but the Miller's phone hadn't been turned on yet. They were still in the very early stages of moving into their house. Laura wanted to use a payphone to call Vernon, but League said he's a small town, and the closest payphone was a mile away at a convenience store, which this store was pretty much like kind of the go-to place when you needed something. It was on West Main Street, so pretty much right in the middle of League City. Vernon's a lost name, right? People aren't getting named Vernon anymore. No, the only Vernon I can think of is David Koresh before mm. he became David right, Koresh. Right. You don't hear many Vernons anymore. I suspect you're not going to hear many Karens in the near future. Can you that's imagine? a dead name. <laughs> I feel bad for anybody that's cool and their name is Karen. God damn. Is there a cool Karen? Have you met one? I haven't, but they might be out there. I, um,. Speaking of Vernon, it reminded me of Verner's like ginger ale. Mm -hmm. I was just watching a uh, old episode of um, Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown, and he was in Detroit, and he was like, "I have to try a Verner's ginger ale. I've never had one of these, and this is like the that and a Detroit Coney, which I didn't really realize Detroit was known for like Coney's. Yeah. You don't think of them with that. You think of like right. Cincinnati with their skyline and Chicago style, but yeah, I was like, oh. It's is it that rare? I, I, that's, it caught me off guard. Like, huh. well, I, I mean, didn't I, know that. I guess we're almost one and the same with Detroit in a lot of ways with that. And, but yeah, mm. he enjoyed it. So uh, that's great to it's hear. Good. It's no Canada Dry, but <laughs> it'll do. I do prefer the Canada Dry. Yeah. 
In a Schweppes guy? No. no. Okay. Drinking one right now, Canada Dry. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Remember when you bought those diet for a while? That was not that good. That was a mistake. <laughs> those are quite disgusting. That was a <laughs> shit beverage. Diet ginger ale yes. is awful. That makes a very poor drink. Very poor. <laughs> Anyways. Nope. Jan Miller had to work that day, and she wasn't a fan of just dropping Laura off at a payphone and leaving her there. Laura promised that she would walk home right after she was done on the phone. And this kind of went back and forth, and eventually Jan agreed. And while Laura was on the phone, Jan waited in the parking lot. She was still questioning whether or not to leave Laura there, but when Laura started to wave for her to leave, Jan decided to give Laura some freedom, so she left for work. Like, what was the overall crime like in these places? Not really high, right? I don't think so. Seemed like it. I mean, the murder rate in Texas in this in the 70s and 80s was pretty high we talked about that with dean coral and mm-hmm. stuff yeah. but there were also still records of those bodies found on i-45 right like was yeah, that i mean was the that public kind of public now like yeah. by this time right but mm-hmm. was yeah. it well known that like oh i-45 that that's where those bodies are found or was it just kind of like a oh that was a a one-off thing there was some body i guess that's what i was getting at was there an overall feeling like i'm in a high crime area i maybe i don't want my kid walking around here it certainly doesn't seem that you way view those one i-45 murders in the 70s as kind of one-offs and that's well for this one it seemed like they were more nervous just about our seizures than crime yeah. you know they didn't want her walking a mile it seemed like she had a pretty severe you know seizure issue and right i don't know i i got the feeling that you're not going to even take that chance if you're really concerned about it right i don't think you would yeah yeah i think it's there's more about the seizures than it was about okay feeling that something bad would happen okay. fair enough that makes sense when tim and jan got home from work they found that laura wasn't home they both assumed that she had vernon come pick her up at the convenience store and they were hanging out somewhere. Like we talked about earlier, League City was not too far from Dickinson, so it was completely reasonable that Vernon could come pick her up. However, about 20 minutes later, after Tim and Jan talked through that scenario, Vernon knocked on their door looking for Laura. Vernon said that he hadn't heard from her since she called from the payphone that morning. Tim and Jan started thinking that maybe Laura's friends came to pick her up and They went back to Dickinson and were hanging out, something like that. Vernon helped look for Laura, reaching out to people that she might be with, but had no luck. Tim and Jan decided to give Laura until the next morning. If they hadn't heard from her by then, they would go to the police. When Laura didn't show up the next morning, Tim started to call around to hospitals in the area, thinking maybe that Laura had a seizure or something like that and got hurt. When the hospitals turned up nothing, Tim called the police and they told him that Laura probably ran away and she would come back eventually. The old runaway gag. Had she actually run away prior to this? There were some... It seems like giving her until the mornings... Uh, sounded like oh. there was maybe like some weed going on. Maybe some typical teenage stuff. Okay. Maybe not even running away, but just a history of like being out all night with your girlfriends or something. Like to the point where they're like, all right, we'll wait and see. Yeah, that makes sense. Seems unusual to say, all right, we'll wait till the morning if that hadn't happened at some point in the past. Right. Yeah, you'd be freaking out if that wasn't. Yeah. That doesn't seem normal. I mean, per my knowledge of weed, which is Dazed and Confused, the movie, mm-hmm. don't you just sit at the 50-yard line of a football field and you just smoke <laughs> weed until the sun comes up and then you wake up and go buy Aerosmith tickets, right? <laughs> That's what Ian does. Yep, every night. <laughs> <laughs> you go to Medina High School to smoke a weed. <laughs> Tim wasn't buying the answer that Laura ran away. If she would have, she wouldn't have left behind her seizure medication. And the fact that she had been without it for 24 hours was really dangerous. With no help from police, Tim started digging on his own. And that's when he found out that there was a trend along I-45 of young girls turning up murdered. And before we keep going on with Tim in in Laura's timeline... There's some other victims that we need to hit before we get there. Harold Dean Klaus Jr., age 20, and Tina Lynn Klaus, age 17, were found on January 12th, 1981, in northern Harris County in a boggy wooded area just north of uh, Houston city limits. 
a guy was letting his dog run around out in the woods and the dog came back with a human arm. The dog led police to the bodies and it was found that Tina had been strangled and Harold had been bound and gagged before being beaten to death. Is that brother and sister? Uh, husband and wife. Oh. I think the husband sounded like maybe, like there was a theory that maybe he tried to defend his wife, something okay. along those right. lines. This is like the only guy we've talked about, right? Yeah. Other than uh, the guy who was shot in his garage. But that right. was a, we knew the circumstances of that. Yeah, like this guy might have just been collateral damage to... Like they came upon her and didn't realize he was there or something. And yeah. By the time they realized... The next one is Michelle Garvey, age 15. She presumably ran away from her home in New London, Connecticut, on June 1st, 1982. Her body was found on July 1st, 1982 in Baytown, Texas, one month after she went missing. Michelle had been sexually assaulted and strangled to death. And the field where she was found was the same field that Harold and Tina Klaus were found the previous year. So that one, like last week, there was two. Um, they were found really close together in, mm -hmm. the, in the same area of land. So that one led me to think that it was probably the same killer. We're talking about someone separate from uh, a whole Edward new, Bell. A whole different person. Right. Yeah. And that's what this sounds like. The chances of her being buried in the same exact spot as the other two, th that would lead me to believe that yeah. this is just a, a killer on their own right here. People use familiar spots, right? Sometimes they even like to go back there. Like our, uh, I like to go back. Ridgeway and Bundy. There's and, been quite a few. You know, <clears throat> a lot of them, right. It Was it Ridgeway that brought the, he brought the girl camping or like overnight sleep? Who was it that brought like the girl back in the car? He brought the sex workers back, right? Yeah, he would take sex workers out to like the spot or his like body. have like little date with with his wife. I think yeah. like have dates. Oh, yeah, over date the night. bodies over oh, the that's bodies. Right, you're right. Was that Ridgeway? Yeah, I think it was. Ted would go back and put makeup on. Yeah, I remember faces oh, and yeah. stuff. You know, he was probably out there talking to him and stuff, dude. Although you know, a guy that takes his baby to get blown by sex workers. Yeah, well. <laughs> having him take a, his wife on a date to the dumping ground doesn't seem that out of character i guess <laughs> so as tim was going through these cases and, and finding out this information he got to the disappearance and murder of 23 year old hedy Fi. tim read a story where on april 4th 1984 a woman living on calder road in league city was sitting out on her front porch when her dog came walking back with something round and white in its mouth. The woman thought the dog had brought back one of its balls, but it turns out that the dog was carrying a human skull, and that skull belonged to Heedy Fi. Heedy was a cocktail waitress at a bar called the Texas Moon. She was described as being the type of person that would light up a room. She was very outgoing, very friendly, and what most people I think would consider very attractive. She was also completely in love with her boyfriend, and they had solid plans for the future. On October 10, 1983, Heidi was staying at her parents' house when she decided to walk down to the convenience store to use a payphone to call her boyfriend. Does no one have phones? What, what's with the payphone? I don't know. Mm. That was the same convenience store that Laura Miller was last seen at. Same payphone. The store owner corroborated that Heidi was at the store, he said that she used the payphone like anyone else would and then left the store walking towards the direction of her parents' home. And that's the last time anyone saw her alive. Tim immediately took this information to the police, but they didn't want to hear anything about it. Huh. <laughs> Again, they told Tim that Laura ran away and chances were that she would show back up soon. Regarding Heidi's murder, police said that it was an isolated incident. They told Tim that what probably happened to Heidi was that she was being too flirtatious with some guy at the Texas moon. And when he wanted more and she rejected his advances, the guy killed her, which is such a crazy level of victim blaming and that incel type mindset of how dare a woman be nice and not want to have sex with me. Exactly. And they're just making that up too. They have no evidence to support that. No. At all. That's just a made-up story that might have happened. <laughs> if the cops in this situation, if these police officers put half as much effort into an investigation as they did trying to 
shut people up and stop investigations, who knows how quickly they could have ended this. Yeah. You have a guy coming a valid to you, point. a grieving father with some information, and you're just treating him like a piece of garbage. A solid piece of evidence. Yeah. And you're, t- and you're telling mm. him, nope, that girl ran away. Never mind it was the same payphone that they were both young, good-looking girls yeah. found in the same field. Half of that effort you put into shunning Tim away, who knows what you might have accomplished. Well, what else do they have to do? But that, what are like, they busy doing? I, I think, Just hanging out? Like, Just doing nothing. And is that why, again, I, I want to be specific to this, because I'm not generalizing. Why did those cops get choose their profession if that's how they're going to treat their job? Is it because they know, ah, we get to kick back and go to happy hour at four o'clock, like whatever that one fucking episode we did was? <laughs> like, is it because it's just a, it's a sweet gig, you don't have to do anything, and you get to write people tickets and, you know, flex your muscle, whip your dick out, and you're the badass police officer? I think that why? has something to do with it. And maybe so. Why do you get into that work if that's how you're going to treat the serious work? And again, I'm not generalizing. I'm saying for this situation. I think if you're having a good time doing nothing, you don't want somebody bothering that. Like, yeah, you're like, go away, man. Yeah. We're just uh, maybe, chilling. So, and so, so is that <laughs> you know what it is? Mean? Like, you know, you're graduating high school and the culture of that whole police department's like, ah, oh, no, my cousin Joe, he does that. They just fucking sit around all day and they fucking laugh at people who come in and make reports. They put them right in the shredder. Like, is that? You know, there's probably something to that. Sure, sure. We don't have Ray Biondi here on this police force. We don't have the fingerprint guy from our uh, episode on patreon.com slash Necronomapod. What the hell was the fingerprint guy's name? I can't remember. What fingerprint guy? The guy with the pawn. The guy that was like Gordon Cummins. The Gordon Cummins. Remember he had the fingerprint guy who could tell if it was a left hand or a right hand? He could tell what hand you were choked with. Right. But I... It's the same as any profession. I mean, it is what the employees make it. And if you got bad apples that don't want to do anything, then it's going to be terrible. And this one seems worse because it just seems like an entire department of bad apples, yeah. right? Like we don't have, at least we don't know of that one standout at this point yet cop who's trying to do something here. Maybe we'll get there. I don't know. We'll see what part three entails, but. Yeah, they, they come along eventually. I think that's the case. In Decades a of, later yeah. when there's a whole new group of people. Like we just talked about that with uh, Lonnie Franklin, mm-hmm. where with that super cop comes. Yeah, in. he came at twenty years later, yeah. and he's people with some integrity yeah. finally get on the job and yeah. turn, turn things around. Sure, I think that happens in a lot of these type of type of cases. Somebody eventually comes along. It's these lazy seventies and eighties motherfuckers. They don't do anything. Mm-mm. Well, and and to be fair too, the. That's probably the reason why we're covering these cases, right? If there was someone there, they would have solved this right away. Yeah. And it would have been like a, maybe three murders. And That's that necessarily, a, yeah. that wouldn't have been something we covered. Very possible. It's just frustrating when you hear about like a dad coming in like that, who's just looking for any last chance to find his daughter. And I, I don't un- understand how anybody could treat someone that way. Yeah, I just don't understand how you would, that an officer's ears wouldn't like, up when you hear that two petite young women both long blonde hair went missing from the same exact payphone only like a year or so apart i mean what more do you need but i think i said this before what kind of training are we dealing with this with these officers in these smaller towns yeah i mean training in these homicide investigations or actual police technique right a lot of them are just barney fifes yeah Yeah. i'm sure there's not a ton of training I'm just talking out of my ass. I really don't know, but I'm I'm guessing that that's probably the case. I'm sure there's, you know, just common sense about when a guy comes in and he's like, hey, there's this and this. Maybe just at least jot down a few notes. Don't tell him, oh, no, that girl, she just ran away with some guy who was, you know, she was flirting with. Shouldn't have been flirting. Yeah. That's how they told us. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you shouldn't have been being nice to that guy if you didn't want to. But you get, you waitress, for giving good customer service when you're paid 50 cents an hour plus tips and you're trying to get those tips. So Tim said, fine, you know, if you don't want to listen, just tell me where the field is that Heidi was found in and I'll go out there and search myself. Police told Tim no, that they weren't going to tell him where the field was because it was part of an ongoing investigation. 
Plus, it was private property. They also told Tim to leave Heidi's family alone. Don't go asking them where the field is. That family has been through enough, that kind of thing. Tim listened to the police, and he went on with other routes to search for Laura, but those turned up nothing. It's tough listening to him talk about how much he regrets not reaching out to Heidi's family. Yeah, it really is. By the one-year anniversary of Laura's disappearance, Tim's life was falling apart. He wasn't eating or sleeping regularly. He had fallen into drinking heavily, and his marriage was just about over. Tim kept getting worse, and on February 1st, 1986, he agreed that he needed help, and he checked himself into a hospital. The following day on February 2nd, two boys were riding their bikes up and down Calder Road when they smelled something really bad. The boys got curious, so they started walking through the field toward the smell. Eventually, they got to where the smell was coming from, and right at the trunk of a tree was the badly decomposed body of a woman lying face up. When police arrived, they found that there wasn't just one body. The skeletal remains of another body were out in that field. Both bodies were within 200 yards of where Hedify's remains were found. So since Tim was in the hospital, Jan took a copy of Laura's dental records to the League City Police, which they confirmed that the skeletal remains belonged to Laura, but there was nothing there that would indicate her cause of death. It's there that whole time. And he would have found mm-hmm. him a couple years earlier. Right? What year is this? Oh, one year later. I'm sorry. One year later. But still, he would have found yes. him earlier. Police could get more information from the other body because it was only partially decomposed. The medical examiner ruled that the woman had been killed from a gunshot wound to her back that severed her spine. He also ruled that the woman was white with brown hair and had a distinctive gap between her front teeth. We'll talk about her identity in part three, but... For right now, in this timeline, they only knew her as Jane Doe. They could not identify this woman. This field, specifically the Calder Road field that's going to become the Texas killing field, just filled with litter. And a lot of these are, we'll talk about another one later in the episode, but just people. Dumping ground. Yeah. A remote place where you can just throw a bunch Mm. of trash, you know. No one apparently notices. You're probably not looking, right? You pull up, Mm-mm. you throw it, you get out of there. It stinks. You don't want to be mm-hmm. hanging around. So there there was all kind of litter everywhere, and we'll talk about Tim going through that litter and stuff. But when Laura's remains were found and uh, Jane Doe's, there was a shirt next to Laura's remains that had stains on it and stuff. It was a, man, it was a men's uh, plaid shirt. But it's lost. Lost. Yeah. Lost police lost that that shirt did they do any initial testing on it back then no oh okay any reason why stop it pal who do you think you are (laughs) why are you asking questions like that that was the only real solid piece of evidence good god just lost that was all they said lost mike lost Lost. it's just gone Mm. gone it's gone it's gone (laughs) Fucking lost it. Gone. <laughs> That's how they talk in Texas. <laughs> that Boston accent. Eric, Eric, we lost the shirt. It's gone. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Texas and Kennedy's. That's too close to home, pal. <laughs> Stop it. Necronomapod is sponsored by BetterHelp. Take a second to think about how much time you spend on yourself in a given week. Now compare that to the time you spend on others. It's easy, isn't it? to get caught up in what everyone else needs from you. Meanwhile, you're never taking a moment to think about your own needs. Getting that late night call from a distressed friend, taking care of a sick child, or helping coworkers who are slammed with work. Assisting the people around us is important, but when we all spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Therapy is all about giving your mental health the self-care it deserves. Because sometimes we don't set aside enough time to focus on improving ourselves, being too busy focusing on improving those around us. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey to better balance in your life from wherever you are. So, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. It's time to find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Necro today and get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Necro. This field off of Calder Road in League City will become known as the Texas Killing Field. But before we get into the rest of Tim's story and the Calder Woodfield, we need to go along with the timeline and cover two more victims from the 80s found along I-45. Shelly Kathleen Sykes, age 19, was last seen leaving her job as a waitress at Guido's Seafood Restaurant on the beachfront in Galveston, Texas, around 12 a.m. on May 24, 1986. Her car was found the next day stuck in mud and abandoned on the side of an I-45 access road. The driver's side window had been broken and bloodstains were found on the door and driver's seat. She's never been found. Then Suzanne Renee Richardson, age 22, she was employed as a night clerk at Casa Del Mar Condominiums on Seawall Boulevard in Galveston. So, same street. She was last seen at work at 6 a.m. on October 7th, 1988 by resort security guards. And shortly afterward, another employee who was sleeping in the room above her office heard a loud female scream. The witness claimed to have then heard a car door slam shut, followed by another scream and the sound of a car speeding away from the parking lot. A guest showed up at Suzanne's office to check out around 6.30 a.m. and found no one working. One of Suzanne's shoes was found in the parking lot later in the morning, She's never been seen again. The fuck is going on down there? And that's the same street. So mm. presumably another killer hit here twice. Got away with it the first time, right? He's like, hmm. Similar MO with that two women leaving work. And they're older mm-hmm. than the yeah. other victim. So someone's hunting the hunting ground for multiple people. Sounds There's probably somewhere different. Between- people hunting not just one Mm. serial killer doing hunting from the 70s until 2000s we'll get into in part three it's got to be like 10 guys it sure seems like it somewhere is it a concerted effort is it someone saying oh i can do that too look how easy it is look how they got away with it they never really caught anyone is it a father and son so father uh Teaching his son the trade could be anything. Yeah. In December of 1986, Tim was worse than he was when he checked himself into the hospital at the beginning of 86. He arranged a deal with the owner of the field on Calder Road where Tim would pay a certain price, which I think I read or heard him say $10 a month to be able to put a memorial for Laura out there. And then Tim would be able to go and search the field for any clues. So like we said earlier, the, the um, all the litter out there and stuff, he would just go out there digging through mm-hmm. everything. If you own a field and you're going to charge a guy whose daughter got dumped there $10 a month to put a little cross there, then you're sicko. I think it was also, it was more... Or just um, to make it formal, maybe. I think it was more know. for like the searching part. All right. It's what it seemed like, or maybe give that person the benefit of the doubt. Because Tim wanted to go out there and dig. Like he was he, he's trying to tear up the land a yeah. little bit. Maybe it was just to make it legitimate, just a nominal amount of money and say, All right, then we have a contract, you can All right. I retract that then. Yeah, because ten dollars is a weird number. Yeah. It probably is something like that. That makes more sense. Dave likes that guy again. <laughs> Back in my good graces, fella. You're going to heaven. <laughs> Back on the list. <laughs> uh, dear God, please put uh, Calder Field owner back on list. <laughs> Love Dave. It's done. Thank you. It's done. It's power of prayer. Yeah. He's always listening, Mike. Just have to tune in. However, a lot of Tim's time spent out in the field was waiting for the killer to come back. Tim would sit in the field next to Laura's cross with a gun and a case of beer, hoping that the killer would come back. Sometimes Tim would drink himself until he fell asleep out in the field and he would end up sleeping out there the whole night. 
Other times Tim said that he would fire a three fifty seven in the air to see if anyone heard or if police would come, but it was always dead mm. silent. No one ever came out. Although I kind of wish he would have caught someone out there and filled them full of lead. It's also probably lucky that he didn't shoot just some kids out there smoking a joint or hiking or something in the middle of the night, you know. We're going to talk about it in part three. Tim has a um, an incident where he comes an inch away from making the wrong decision mm. that would change life forever over this. He's, just, he's spiraling, obviously, in a dark, dark yeah, place. Yeah, clearly not in his right mind. I, I feel, feel, yeah, I understand. Awful for this guy. What else can you do, though? I get it. I understand completely. Yeah, what else can you do? He went to the cops with actual good information, and he was told to fuck off. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in, sure. Go in, ahead. Th- in theory, he he's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. The guy has dropped three bodies there already. But you can't necessarily be drunk. You don't want to be drunk right because you know what's going to happen if that if anybody showed up, he's right. just going to start shooting. But at the same time, you know, it's probably a sense of closeness being where her body was found. It makes you feel like you're closer to your daughter. You You see where his, you can see the mindset, the, Mm -hmm. the idea behind it. It's just not a good idea. It's not. I just couldn't imagine the helpless feeling of being in some kind of traumatic situation like that. And then literally the only source you're supposed to turn to is the police. And they're being like, no, no, like how... You're already grieving. You lost this close family member. Now there's just there's there's nobody else helping you on top of that. Like this the feeling of helplessness. I mean, if we're being fair, they pushed them to this with their lack of help. Yeah, because she was well, in the I field. Think that's he very went. fair to yeah. say. Yeah. I mean, she was in the field the whole time. Yeah. He knew it. This guy's looking for any strain of hope he can find. So now he's 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 stuck with sitting where her body was found with a gun and a case of beer, hoping on a wing and a prayer that something happens, mm-hmm. that he can get some closure. It won't be the right kind when he just shoots somebody, right. or even if he shoots the killer, that's probably not going to bring the same closure that you want. But that would be I, the closure I, I want. I understand that rage, but it's it's not going to make you feel better though. You're you're, you're still going to have that terrible sense yeah. of loss. Sure. But I understand that that rage of yeah, I want to put a bullet in the person who who killed my daughter. It's just it's sad that it came to that. And then you just get into this whole, I don't know, falling asleep out there, passing out. I can't imagine like reality. Yeah, reality would just start to get really, really warped. Tim was also you know at the same time he was trying to figure out who Laura's killer was. And through talking to people, Tim eventually heard the name Clyde Hedrick, who in 1987 was 34 years old. He was a roofing contractor, lived in the same neighborhood as the Millers did in Dickinson, Texas, and had recently been released from prison after serving a year for abuse of a corpse. This part of the story is, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to make of this. It's a wild, just how all this yeah. part played out. This can almost be like a single isolated incident, this Clyde part. It could be. It could very well just be a part of the big incident. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like a, a real random twist in the story. Very. 29-year-old Ellen Beeson was last seen alive in July of 1984, drinking with Clyde Hedrick at the Texas Moon, which was the bar that Heidi Fye worked at. Ellen wasn't just drinking with Clyde. There was another couple with them. Ellen... And the other couple were good friends, and Clyde was kind of new to the group, and Ellen was into him. When the other couple left that night, Ellen and Clyde were still drinking together. After that, no one saw Ellen, and the woman from that couple uh, that they were all friends with started to get suspicious of Clyde since he was the last one that saw Ellen. Every time she asked Clyde, he said he didn't know what happened to Ellen after the bar, never saw her again. This went on and on until the woman thought that maybe if she got Clyde super drunk, he would accidentally say something about Ellen. In November of 1984, that plan worked, but Clyde told the woman to get in the car with him that he would show her where Ellen was. Clyde took her to an area off of I-45 near Galveston. He pulled off the highway, grabbed a flashlight, and told the woman to walk with him. They went down into a ravine-type area where people threw a bunch of garbage over the years. 
Clyde pointed his flashlight to an old couch, and right next to it, kind of leaned on top, was an almost completely decomposed body. At first, this woman didn't believe that the body was Ellen. Then Clyde walked over and nudged the body with his foot, turning the body, and it revealed a necklace that was still around the neck. And the woman realized that that necklace was one that Ellen wore all the time. Clyde told this woman and later the police the same story. That the night after drinking at the Texas Moon, Clyde and so Ellen... we're back at the Texas Moon again. We were Seems at the to be Texas a focal moon. point here in the story. Has any country music star written a song about Texas Moon like our uh, friend did about uh, Johanna? What was well, the name of that bar? I always forget the name of that damn bar. Bobby Mackey. Yeah. Was it just called Bobby Mackey's? Something World, right? Yeah, I don't remember. Something like that. Johanna, Johanna, <laughs> where are you now? Could it be you're here somehow? He's just telling a story. Like, but the fact that he made it a song is fucking awesome. This guy's like, look, here's how this bar is going to make money. We're going to attack people in the bathrooms, but have a sign up that they can't sue us. And I'm going to write a fucking song about it. It doesn't even, like, the verses don't even flow. No, He's literally just yeah. telling a story. I love songs like that where it's just the first person, <laughs> like, then I woke up and made myself an omelet. That's and exactly I had some coffee. Johanna, Johanna. Then I needed a shave, so I took a shower. That's like that dog man song. Remember that? Yeah, right, right. It's just that dude just told a story <laughs> over like eight minutes. Yeah. That poor man's art bell. Put it's it the all the art bell. Yep. I said it. I made a. What, I made a dog man <laughs> parody song. What You're the that? Aldi version of the Aldi version of Art Bell. <laughs> That's the dollar yeah. store version, though, right? <laughs> dollar General version of Art Bell. <laughs> Although I do not think it would be in good taste for Texas Moon to rebrand themselves around this. Like, Pop. no, come to us. We're the spot that you can go into the corner. And we put the payphone in the bar. You can, <laughs> do you have the guts to stand in that payphone oh for si- for uh, sixty seconds? Payphone, oh payphone, <laughs> where are you now? So, according to Clyde, after a night of drinking at the Texas Moon, Clyde and Ellen went to a spot that was a popular swimming hole. He said that swimming was Ellen's idea, which he wanted nothing to do with. So, Clyde said that he was sitting in his truck smoking some weed and watched as Ellen took off her clothes and jumped in the water. After a while, Clyde was getting impatient, so he got out of the truck and told Ellen to come out of the water, but she was floating face down. Clyde pulled her out of the water and tried giving Ellen CPR. When that didn't work, he put her in his truck and started driving toward a hospital. As Clyde was driving, he realized that Ellen was dead and figured that he would be accused of killing her. So Clyde took her body to the makeshift dump and moved an old couch to partially cover her body. Clyde ended the story by telling the woman... Uh, I mean, he told the cops this, but he ended the story by telling the woman that if she told anyone about Ellen, that he would kill her. <laughs> so he went out. He liked this girl. We go out drinking. They go out to this place, secluded area, mm-hmm. a swimming hole, if you will. She's all about it. She gets naked and gets in the water. And he's like, nope, I'm going to sit in my truck with my clothes on. He probably had a limp dick. Didn't want to bang <laughs> in the water, huh? Limp dick. Yeah. <laughs> if only he had some blue chew. If only. Mm. So uh, yeah, maybe he had he had whiskey dick going on. Maybe. But then he got drunk again with her friend. He's like, "All right, come on, we're going for a ride. I'm yeah. gonna show you her dead body." <laughs> oh, you like, really? Oh, you crazy. really want to know where she is? Like, who does that? Yeah. It, so when he showed her the body, it sounded like he just got sick of hearing it. Finally, he's like, "Fine, you, you want to see what I did? Then, or you want to see where she is? I'll show you." Like getting it, got angry that's about just it. Really weird. Yeah, really weird. Come on, then. Yeah. Have you seen a picture of this guy? Oh yeah, from back then. Yeah. Because now he just looks like a meth head with no teeth, but he's a good-looking guy back in the old days. Yeah, right? that typical cowboy, like mm-hmm. the tighter jeans, cowboy oh, like boots, me. like those hard, rugged outdoorsman cowboy, like mm-hmm. I am. Yep. Mar- Marlboro man. Yeah, that's a good way to put him. With like, the- didn't he die of throat cancer? That's, that's that'd be weird. Why would that happen? <laughs> <laughs> of course he did. Well, your first mistake smoking Marlboros and not Camel Blues, <laughs> pal. 
greatest he, cigarette in the world is a camel blue. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, I don't disagree with that at all. It's delicious. You just have to be very careful with those. <laughs> he was described as a a ladies' man yeah. type guy. Big into like the line dancing down there. That sounds super fun. We can go up to uh, that bar we have in town that had the midget wrestling, or I'm sorry, the little people <laughs> wrestling, and uh, go do some line dancing. Should we do an investigatory? Oh, God. I can't think of something I would hate worse than line <laughs> dancing. It, it does not look fun at all. Oh. I'd rather do the Macarena. That line dance. Oh, I'd much rather do a Macarena. Yeah. Oh, what's the other one? What's the new one? Like line dancing is two-tiered hate. Like you have to listen to the music, number one. Yeah. And then you have to do weird moves with your feet, number two. It's I don't even. That's music I couldn't even get into a lot of that stuff. No. All right. Well, so I guess we won't do the investigatory. <laughs> I'm going to decline your investigatory line dancing offer. Right. What if I offer to buy a bucket of Miller Lights? That's uh, that's still a no-go. All right. Well, I'll drink that bucket of Miller Lights. <laughs> I'm by myself. I want you guys to come pick me up. You know, after this happened, um, it almost seemed like Clyde regretted telling this woman. You think? <laughs> because for months he would harass her. So she didn't go to the cops right away. She didn't because she was afraid of him. Um, Understandable. And he would do stuff like say like she left her kids home alone. She went to the store. When she would come home, they'd be like, oh, this guy stopped by. Like he was always making himself known that he could be, he could do something mm -hmm. if he wanted to. All kind of like leaving notes on her car. Just that he was around and aware of what she was up to. Yeah. Keeping tabs on her. Threatening without threatening. Yep. And then one day, after months of this, just nonstop, this kind of mental, these mental games that he was playing with her, she finally just said, fuck this. I'm telling the police, you can kill me if you want to. I'm just, I'm done doing this with you every day. Yeah. He didn't even, like, go remove her body or anything. Like, he just left it there. Is that crazy? Yeah, he was fully banking on that this woman would mm. be afraid of him. So she took police right out to Ellen's body, and the prosecutor wasn't buying the accidental drowning story. But at the same time, they had no cause of death to prove that Clyde was lying. So he was charged with abuse of a corpse and served one year in jail for that. I bet she was nervous when he got out after a year, right? That's not a long time. Mm -mm. No, not at all. On one of Tim's searches of the Calder Road field, he found a bunch of roofing shingles dumped among the trash out there. In Tim's mind, this was proof that Clyde, who we said worked as a roofer, dumped those shingles the same time that he dumped Laura, Heady, and Jane Doe's body out there. Tim had also found out that back when they lived in Dickinson, in the same neighborhood as Clyde, Laura more than likely had bought weed from Clyde at some point and had been inside his house when she bought it. Tim took this information to the police, but they told him it was all circumstantial. It was, but they could have maybe looked into it a little bit since he just fucking killed another girl. Tim is bringing you more information than you have collectively as a department found on your own. Maybe use some of it. He's at least a person of interest just to look into him. Yeah, of course he is. Like Ellen Beeson did not drown. He killed her. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's right there. You know what happened. Yeah. Despite all the times that Tim stayed out in the Calder Road field waiting for the killer to come back, another body was found on September 8th, 1991. The mostly skeletal remains were found to belong to a white woman somewhere in her mid-20s to mid-30s, 5'3", slim build with long, light brown hair. Her cheekbone and jaw were broken, which suggested to the medical examiner that she was hit with a flat object, but it wouldn't have killed her, that she was probably strangled. Regarding who she was, police couldn't match her description to any local missing persons case, and they couldn't pull any fingerprints from the body. So for the time being, which we'll talk about next week, but for right now, she was known as Janet Doe. At this point, the Calder Road field got the nickname Texas Killing Fields, which eventually, like we talked about last week, it just became a, a catch-all for all these fields along I-45. That's because that movie came out around in 1984, The Killing Fields, about the Cambodian Civil War. So it was top of mind to people. So they kind of co-opted that name and started calling it that. It's a creepy name. It is. For, it just conjures yeah. up images of 
bodies strewn about fields and just dumped and dumped and dumped. And it's eerie how alone you are out in those fields. Like Tim said, you can fire a gun up in there. No one yeah, will ever no hear it. And then it's just creepy to think it's not the same killer, but it is creepy to think that, oh, is the killer back? Like took a break, you know, in the beginning of the 80s and now he's back. Because you have no idea. Yeah, right. It could have been, I, I don't know. Like National Guard and got deployed or something where there was a reason why he was out of commission for a couple of years. We've talked could about have been that anything. before. You know, some of these guys get 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 arrested for like petty theft. They go away yeah. for a while and they come back and it's the same thing. You never know. Like you never feel safe at that point. Mm-mm. Or he was in the oil industries and he got a contract overseas or something. So I mean, he was killing somewhere else for the time in between. It's a it's a high body count, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Gary Ridgway killed tons of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst part about all this sometimes, not knowing, never being able to figure it out. The League City police were forced to admit that they had a serial killer on their hands. Because like you said, that movie came out when the, the nickname Texas Killing Fields was coined, it kind of spread. Like national media was like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. So let's report on this. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of bodies. Yeah. <laughs> Four people on the same two football fields together is, yeah. is what that is. Yeah. Reminds me of, uh, remember the episode of the newsroom? Did you watch the newsroom? Mm-mm. When they decided like they have to start covering Casey Anthony because that's what everybody wants to hear. And like they stopped talking politics. They stopped talking the economy and real yeah, news. Yeah. Like, nope, the first, Three blocks are going to be Casey Anthony now. And we have one girl who says she went to high school with Casey and <laughs> right. she's going to be your interview. And, and Will McAvoy is just like, what, what the fuck are we doing now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a great show. Yeah. I've watched Loved that a few it. times. That's a really good show. So last week and some of the murders that we covered in the, when we took a break in this episode to, to hit the timeline again, those were you know, definitely from other killers, but the murders of Heidi Fye, Laura Miller, Jane Doe, and Janet Doe were for sure committed by the same person. So the police called in the FBI, who gave them a profile of the killer. They said that the killer is methodical, organized, and a sexual serial killer. He probably has a high IQ, possibly a history of abusing animals, and difficulty keeping romantic relationships. The FBI pointed out that the killer is more than likely a local person who is very familiar with the area. The only serial killers I feel like that we've covered who are able to keep romantic relationships aren't those always like the wives that are just like, I didn't know any of this was happening. <laughs> like, yeah. And I feel like in a lot of those cases, we kind of laugh at it and like, yeah, you fucking knew something was going on. But is there something there to where, like, those are those serial killers, are they able to kind of maintain that happy relationship and really pull the wool over their wives' eyes? Were they really happy romantic relationships, though? But, I, well, I don't know. I'm asking, like, you know. Gacy's wife was not happy because yeah. he never wanted to have sex with her. And then eventually that She got, wasn't a young boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that eventually got to the point where, like, they had rules set up. You know, there was like an understanding where he's like, I'm not going to have sex with you ever. Yeah. I just, mm. like, and, and I, I think that's, it's, yeah, there's, they're probably not ever happy, but I wonder even those ones that where they, they are, those wives are around forever. Is there, does that, that wife think for some time, like, oh, this is a great relationship I'm in. Like I feel loved and we're happy. Clearly delusional and kind of fooling yourself into remaining you, where you are. You would have to be that way yeah. unless they're really good, though, at kind of kayfabing it. I think I, some I, of I them know. are out of the out of nowhere, right? That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Like, there maybe is there somewhere the the wives truly think they're in this fairy tale marriage? I think so. And then it's like, oh, he fucking killed what? How many women and did what to them? Dennis Rader. His family had no idea. Long Island serial killer. His wife filed for divorce like three days after all this happened. It's going to be yeah. interesting when all that comes out. So, okay. At first glance, there was someone in the area that fit the profile. 
retired NASA engineer Robert Abel, who owned property right up against the Calder Road killing field. And that's where we'll pick back up on part three. In part three, we'll see how the police zero in on Robert Abel in a very public way, which in turn makes Tim drop his suspicion of Clyde Hedrick. And we'll also cover the rest of the victims from the 1990s and onward, as well as get into the identities of Jane and Janet Doe and how those were figured out. You going to wrap this one up in three parts? Yeah, we'll get it. Look at that. It's a lot to talk about in this story. That three decades of murder and... It's a lot of victims. Suspects. So a lot more bodies to come? Is that what you're insinuating? Yeah, there's a solid amount of victims. Yeah. But there's a lot to talk about with Robert Abel and the where Tim go, the road that Tim goes down with Robert Abel is a story in of itself. It, it, it really is. Well, this is a tale. It's a um, sad story. Anything else uh, from your notes, Ian? Anything else you found for part two to talk about? Obviously, we'll do final thoughts at the end next week, but... Uh, nothing I can think of. Dave, you had any other final thoughts? No, I'm going to reserve judgment. If one can be... Uh, <laughs> one can make a judgment. I'm interested to hear how that plays out next yeah. week. All right. Well, what do you got for us on the old Patreon Thank you to new patrons, Jameson, Chaotic Eris, Stephanie Lemons, Adelaide Browning, Olivia, Guyana Buffalo, Eric, I Poppy Mike, hit it from the back like an empty ketchup bottle. (laughs) (laughs) He's thinking about it. That's all right. So you're supposed to hit the 57 on that's right Heinz 57 catch. That's old school hitting back. it from the top there yeah. in the back. We've advanced as a society. <laughs> since then. Also, now they make plastic squirt bottles. It's very easy. <laughs> very easy. Jessica K. Mike, why didn't you say Necronama panties instead of Necro underwear in Scientology Part Four <laughs> at one hour forty two minutes fifteen seconds? Good fucking lord. <laughs> what's your answer I, have we covered scientology <laughs> that is my answer no it's on the list though okay, that's my answer Kate, nine years ago we covered that it's a long time ago plus sometimes i don't want to be so vulgar i like underwear instead of panties is panties vulgar uh, it's a yes. weird word i don't like a, saying it you like saying panties no when i when i write these outlines i always say women's underwear it's, really? Yeah, it's weird. Huh. I don't know. Can you say panties real quick for the soundboard, please? <laughs> <laughs> Next well, time, I will not. Dave can just dub it in for you. <laughs> just give him a look. And just, he'll, he'll read women's underwear. Oh, you mean panties? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said underwear. I don't know. Kaylee Shookart, Bruce Courier, Alan Naylor, Pierce Polomsky. Naylor? I barely know her. <laughs> Pierce Polomsky. <laughs> Jamie Corner, Just Saying Jay, Stephanie McDonald, Myrtle's Ghost, Kaylee Harris, Tara Haggerty, Katie Carpenter, Haley Nichols, Jordan Reed, I Cucked Ja Rule, Holla, Holla. <laughs> holla, Holla. Nobody cucks Ja Rule. Yeah, Get out of here. You're a fucking liar. <laughs> ja Rule cannot be cucked. Funny, though. Thank you for signing up. You know what happened if you cuck Ja Rule? Holla, holla, <laughs> it's murder. That's what would happen to you, sir. <laughs> like you hit the towel first by accident. <laughs> Killian Muldoon, Oscard, Alyssa DeSellums, Breadboy88, Maya He. Maya He. Maya Ha. <laughs> Maya Ha. I just having a good time with these names tonight. <laughs> Lauren Doria, Connor Deku, and the creature from the Splooge Lagoon. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> new patrons. That's a good one. Uh, Ian, you got uh, reviews? For iTunes, I have one for Graveyard Hex and Nurse Parker. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Any internationals? Military? I have no internationals. I do have one military shout out. Adrian from Georgia, currently stationed in Germany. Thank you for your service. Stay safe over there. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. That's uh, thank it's you. been a while since we had a military one. Yeah. Yeah. I All believe right. it says a uh, girlfriend sent it in for him. So hopefully he hears it. 
I think they have Wi-Fi in Germany, right? Probably. Uh, I think so. Maybe. Yeah. Well, we'll it's probably ten times better than our <laughs> Probably right. Now. All right. One last reminder: get those cryptid suggestions into inquiries at necronomapod.com. You have until August sixteenth. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> Subject line: the title, body of the email, a few sentences about what it what, what it is. Mike has spoken. He's not fucking around with you. If it's not in I, that format, he will delete you. I've <laughs> gave Dev, Declan very strict rules right. that. If they don't get to the point or if they fuck around, delete it. Send us something else. So we'll see. Um, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, at Necronomapod, Patreon.com slash Necronomapod, Amazon.com. Search Necronomapod for all of our merch and Necronomapod.com uh, for stickers. Dave has still not fixed the price, so you can probably get them at the sale no, price. No, I haven't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's not been going since like Memorial Day. It's no, been going on July Fourth. Get out of here. Nah, we were a few weeks. weeks. We were a few weeks before July. <laughs> we were not. We started it before Fourth of July. I think a week before. I the think. weekend before. Still. Anyway, telling tales, man. It's there. <laughs> He'll get to it eventually. Take advantage. Three stickers for a good deal price. What is it? Seven dollars. Seven dollars and four cents. <laughs> Boom. Happy birthday, America. You can save almost three bucks. <laughs> um. So I think that's it. Are you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>